Welcome to the SWBCrawler.com Crawlcast. Hey guys, it's me again. I know it's been a little while since I've recorded one of these things, but I'm basically at the mercy of the schedule on the Jeep Talk Show. Uh, so this is another repackaging of one of the segments, or I should say, a series of segments that I recorded for the Jeep Talk Show regarding the Jeep YJ, which is uh, the model of Jeep which I owned for a very long time, and because of that I know quite a bit about them. Um, so they asked me to make you know, a couple segments about you know, the model, the history of it, some of the interesting facts, uh, some cheap modifications, whatever. So um, this came out to seven segments. It's about uh, 20, 25 minutes long once I've run it all together. Um, there's an intro. There's some information about the drivetrain, that is, you know, the motor and the uh, transmission options. Uh, there's some information about issues, you know, common issues with the uh, the Jeep YJ, whether it's... Uh, you know, like rust and whatnot, or drivetrain. Um, there's also also some information about the axles, which I don't cover too in-depth, just because I, I had that nice long series about axles that uh, preceded this. Uh, then, of course, there's a little bit about the interior, um, which is uh, just basically some generalized knowledge, and then some cheap modifications you can do pretty much the day you bring home your YJ without putting too much money into it. So uh, without further delay, here is about uh, 25 minutes of YJ information. Uh, call this Nate's brain dump on the YJ if you'd like. So here you go. This is Nate with another edition of Wrangler Extreme. I'm here to talk a little bit about my favorite Wrangler model ever, the Jeep YJ. Uh, when I was first getting into Jeeps, the Jeep YJ was just one of the most common Wranglers on the road. Uh, we're talking the late 90s, right after the production run of the YJ ended. And they were just everywhere, and they were in my price range, so this was my, my first Jeep was a YJ. So the YJ holds a spot in my heart. So when Tony asked me to record some segments about the YJ, I just couldn't resist. So the YJ was, of course, the successor to the CJ7. Uh, it started production in 1987, and it ended in 1995. There was no 1996 Wrangler. The TJ was introduced as a 1997 model. Uh, there was what some people refer to as a 1995.5 model of the YJ, which was like an early 96 release uh, to sort of fill the gap in between the YJ and the TJ. The story goes that there was either a, pro a marketing thing where the TJ was released early in 96, where it would have been normally released early 97. There's also some talk about some retooling problem that they had at the Wrangler plant. I, I'm not really sure what the true story is, but the bottom line is there was no official 96 Wrangler. So it the YJ shares many traits with the CJ. Uh, it's got leaf springs at all four corners. The body tub is interchangeable between the YJ and the CJ. The front clip is also interchangeable. So you could take a CJ front clip, for example, and bolt it onto a YJ and go back to the old style look. Uh, or you could bolt a YJ front clip onto an older CJ and put some rectangular headlights on it and make all the CJ guys cringe at you. Uh, so the YJ had wider leaves than the CJ, which made it a little more stable. 
Uh, it also had sway bars and track bars, where the CJ only had an anti-sway bar. And uh, th this made it handle a little better on the road. Uh, one thing that the YJ also had was a slightly lower clearance under the CJ. The CJ was slightly taller than the YJ, that is. So this was all done to try to, to sort of make it a little friendlier on the road because the CJ had such a bad rap for being so easy to roll over. So because of these changes and the divergence from the round head-like look that was so iconic in the CJ, a lot of uh, Jeep enthusiasts considered the YJ less of a Jeep. They called it the Yuppie Jeep. They didn't like the, the rectangular headlights. Uh, they didn't like the fact that all these things were done to make it handle better on the road, even though at the end of the day, the YJ was almost identical to the CJ. So tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about the drivetrain in the YJ. So for the entire run of the YJ, you essentially had two core options, one of which was a four-cylinder, and the other of which was a six-cylinder. Uh, the four-cylinder for the entire run of the YJ was the 2.5 liter, though there was a throttle body injected and a few and a uh, true fuel injected model of the 2.5 liter, which made a switch over somewhere in the early 90s, though I haven't been able to nail down the exact date. Uh, then there was the six-cylinder. In the beginning, there was the Jeep 4.2, which was an inline-six and uh, a carbureted motor. Uh, in 1991, the YJ switched over to the 4.0, which everybody has loved ever since. Uh, somewhere around 93 or 94, the high output 4.0 was released, uh, which was essentially some changes to, uh, to the head to produce a little more um, horsepower. The transmissions that came behind the various engines were, uh, there's both manual and um, automatic options. The manual was always a 5-speed and the automatic was always a 3-speed. The 4.2, in the early days, uh, and you're talking I believe up until 1989, came with a French-made Peugeot BA10-5. Uh, that was, like I said, only, between, only behind the 4.2. After that, the AX15, which is also a 5-speed manual transmission, took the place of the Peugeot BA10. As for the 4-cylinder, it always ran the AX5 um, behind the 4-cylinder, the so that's, that's through the whole run, the 1987 through 1995. Okay, as for the automatic transmissions, uh, behind the 2.5, there was the TF904 in the early days, though some reports say that it shared the same automatic transmission as the 6-cylinder model, which was the TF999. Uh, those, from what I'm reading, ended in 1991, which would be around the time that the 4.0 came about. Uh, the 4.0, the automatic transmission listed as behind the 4.0, was the 32RH, and behind the 2.5 liter from 92 to 95 was the 30RH. As far as uh, transfer cases are concerned, through the majority of the YJ's life, you had the NP231J. Uh, for the very first year, 1987, um, ending in 1988, was the, uh, the NP207. So I don't know much about the NP207, and like I said, it was only there for one year, so apparently there were there was a good reason to switch that over to the NP231J. Oh, and then of course, uh, behind all of that power was the Dana 30 front end and the Dana 35C rear end, uh, unfortunately. They ran throughout the entire life of the Jeep YJ. Alright, so there's some chat about uh, drivetrain.
talk a little bit about the axles you would have found around the, or underneath the Jeep YJ. Now, I already, already covered them briefly in the drivetrain segment, um, so I'm going to talk a little more uh, in-depth about each of the two axles, or at least about the Dana 30, because the 35C just really doesn't require a lot of attention. And by that I mean you should rip it out and put something else in. So the Dana 30 in the YJ was somewhat unique. Uh, it was a high-pinion Dana 30, um, spring under axle configuration, because that's the way the YJ came, uh, with a uh, driver-side drop pumpkin, which was uh, it's common within, the, within all of the, uh, the Wranglers, even that you see today up to the JK. Uh, you could have gotten it with anything from a 3.07 uh, gear ratio up to a 410, uh, same thing with the 35C, obviously, and that would all depend on what engine and transmission co uh, combination you purchased along with your YJ, or how it was originally configured anyway. The biggest problem with the YJ Dana 30 is that the passenger side shaft was a two-piece shaft, and this is how they got around not having locking hubs on the outside of the, uh, you know, on the ends of the, the axles for the YJ. Basically an automatic locking axle. Uh, when you shift into four-wheel drive, there's a shift fork which connects the two pieces of the passenger side shaft. So essentially in this, in roughly the middle of the passenger side shaft of the Dana 30, the, there was, you know, two splined ends, and then there was this shift collar that would move back and forth to connect the two halves. Um, obviously, while this may work just fine, or sometimes doesn't work just fine, but uh, as it was originally designed, it worked, um, it was weaker. Uh, and it also made the housing weaker, because now, instead of having one solid tube on the passenger side, you had a tube, and then you had this fitting that would allow a housing for this vacuum manifold, and then, um, of course, you'd have another tube, and then you'd get to the end where your, your knuckles and whatnot are. Um, on top of that, this vacuum disconnect was prone to failure. I mean, the vacuum lines, uh, over time, heating and cooling would get brittle, so you'd have a vacuum leak and then the shift work wouldn't move, or you could get dirt in there or whatever, you know, I covered this a little bit in the drivetrain issue. Um, one of the simplest fixes just to get the thing working was to take the shift fork off move the fork to the four-wheel drive position, and then there was a... It was actually, for whatever reason, there was already a threaded hole with a cap in it on the housing. You just take out the threaded cap, put in a bolt that was longer than the, than the cap so that it would basically jam the shift fork into the four-wheel drive position, and then you'd reinstall the thing. And at that point, you could completely disconnect the, the shift fork vacuum uh, connections because they just weren't needed anymore. Uh, this would essentially lock it into four-wheel drive, and then your shifter on your on your transfer case would, you know, disengage engage or disengage. Uh, this essentially made it work a lot like the TJ does today, uh, or even the JK. Another option would be to rip out the shafts completely and put in TJ shafts because they were solid. Uh, you'd still have the housing problem, of course, uh, and that there really isn't a way to get around without some sort of a truss. So, and like I said, the Dana 35C, I mean, you could put some money into that thing, but it just really wasn't worth it. Uh, personally, I had uh, swapped in a Dana 44 out of a Jeep Cherokee, which was a pretty rare find. Uh, the 48.8 is a much more common and easy swap. Uh, go listen to the axle segments if you really want to hear more about the various axles. Tonight, I'm continuing the YJ series with uh, some information about what you may want to look for in a YJ if you're looking at 
perhaps buying a YJ. Uh, there's not a whole lot of them on the market anymore, so pickings may be slim. Uh, there are plenty of them on the road, though, so you'll you'll probably see uh, you know plenty of options, plenty of chances with private sales and whatnot. So there are the the YJ is a pretty simple platform. There's two main things that take YJs off the road drivetrain problems, and rust problems. So I'm going to cover some of the common things with each of those. Uh, so first, I'm going to cover rust. Uh, as with any vehicle, especially those that are off-roaded, uh, you'll end up with certain places on the undercarriage where dirt can accumulate, and where dirt can accumulate, so can moisture. And if moisture accumulates, you start to get rot. And rot will kill your frame pretty darn quick. So uh, a few places you want to check... First of all, right where the skid plate goes across the bottom of the Jeep underneath the transmission, uh, there's six bolts that hold that uh, uh, belly, belly pan in place. Those bolts are threaded into what they call nutserts that are just basically uh, expanded into the, the frame. Uh, the problem is dirt will actually get inside the frame, and because that's the lowest point of the frame, that's where it settles. And when it settles there, it rusts those nutserts, and when you try to take that belly pan off, those things will just spin, and then you're going to have to cut them out, weld them, or uh, cut them out, torch them out, whatever you can do, drill them out, and put in new inserts, or get a whole new frame rail to, to replace that section with. Uh, I actually had my old YJ, I, I had to drill them out, I had a machine shop make threaded inserts for me, and I put them back in. So that's one thing to check for. It's hard to check on a on a used car lot to see if you can get those things out. But uh, if you've got a Jeep that you're already disassembling, that's something you're going to have to be aware of. Uh, the rear shock mounts, right above or right above the rear axle, there's two shock mounts on the frame. Uh, dirt will collect in there, look above them, clean out all the dirt, give the frame a good wrap if, with a hammer if you can, and see if, uh, see if it breaks through. Uh, the rear shackle mounts, which is the rearmost section of the frame, the, the frame sort of you know slopes up and back down again to clear the rear axle on the on the back half of that, where all the road grime just hits the frame as you're driving. Uh, that's pretty common to rust and rot through. I've seen a lot of YJs where that whole back half had to get cut off and rebuilt. Um, and then of course there's the body. Uh, with any vehicle that the top is removable, <clears throat> you may end up with water inside of the body. Uh, that, of course, will collect on the floor plan, the floor pans, uh, driver and passenger seat, also in the rear behind the, the seats where the roll cage comes down into the, the, the body tub. That's pretty common to collect dirt and rust, and you can actually rust through, which compromises the, uh, the strength of your roll cage. Uh, so the floor plan, the floor pans, both, you know, at the feet of the driver and passenger, and right behind the driver and passenger seats. You want to check those out pretty pretty closely. All right, that covers rust pretty thoroughly. Uh, next time around, I'll cover drivetrain. I don't want to drag this on for too long. I'm continuing my uh, YJ series with a continuation of the issues segment that I started last week. So last time I talked about rust, this time I'm going to finish up talking about drivetrain. The 4.0, and I'm not sure about maybe with the 4.2 as well, uh, one of the things you'll notice in a failing 4.0 is blow-by. Uh, so if you pull out the air filter, you'll actually see oil in the air filter, and that'll that'll give you a pretty good, pretty good indication that this engine probably needs rings. Uh, the rear main seal, I don't think I've seen a 4.0 that doesn't have some leakage from the rear main seal, at least nothing that's not brand new. Uh, so crawl underneath and check. If you see oil on the rearmost section of the oil pan, there's probably a rear main seal leak. Uh, the AX-15 
was really common to have synchronizer problems, and this was mainly because people were putting the wrong oil in them. There's a synthetic blend you can get right from Chrysler, um, and there's also a lot of people were just putting GL5 in there. GL5 ate up the synchros, and that was a really bad thing. Uh, and then, of course, there's in the front axle, the Dana 30 had a vacuum disconnect on the passenger side. These things are prone to failure. Any sort of a vacuum leak and the vacuum disconnect won't work. If crud gets into the vacuum disconnect, it won't work. Uh, on my YJ, what happened was water got in there and it froze in the winter. So in the middle of winter, I couldn't use four-wheel drive because the dang thing was seized up. All right, so there's some common things to check out on, on any YJ you're thinking about buying or if you know someone that's got one and you're trying to help them through some issues, um, there you go. Now you know what to look for. Tonight, I'm going to talk about uh, some interior options you might have seen on the YJ and also some trim levels. So first of all, the YJ's interior was updated from the earlier CJ models. Uh, the CJ's had a very, very minimalistic um, dash with uh, pretty much a multifunction gauge cluster and not much else, just a steel plate with a column coming out of the center for a, a steering wheel. Um, the YJ was slightly better, with some nice plastic cladding over top of that same metal plate. But uh, the gauges were all separated, and uh, you know it was a very 90s utilitarian look, or late 80s utilitarian look. Nothing, nothing fancy. I mean, even for the era, there was nothing fancy <laughs> about the YJ's interior. The, uh, the interior, as far as seats and whatnot were concerned, uh, the seats were almost always vinyl, unless you had purchased uh, a higher trim model. Um, and by that, I mean something like the Sahara or the Rio Grande. Otherwise, you know, like I said, the seats were pretty much always uh, just final seats. Trim packages, like I just mentioned, were pretty much just that. There wasn't such a thing as a Rubicon YJ. Uh, and honestly, there weren't all that many drivetrain upgrades you could get aside from the, you know, 2.5 versus, versus six-cylinder uh, models that I mentioned in the drivetrain um, episode, but basically, you know, things like the Sahara, the Rio Grande, the Islander, which is the one that, uh, that I had, which was actually kind of a cool one. Um, all of them were really just a set of stickers, um, certain paint colors, and maybe some interior styling or exterior styling. Otherwise, you know, wheel options, stuff like that, nothing really substantial. Uh, the only model that really stands out is the Renegade, which had all of this um, external plastic or, or whatever cladding, which made it look totally different. And, I mean, some people love them, some people hate them. Look them up online and you'll understand why. Uh, there was, you know, of course, just like any... Um, current Wrangler, there was a hard top and a soft top model, um, hard door, you know, full door or half door models. Um, the one big difference between the YJ and the later TJ and JK models is that the hard doors only worked with the hard top and the soft doors, or I should say the half doors with the soft uppers only worked with the soft top. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. I've seen soft top YJs with full doors. I know you're wrong, Nate. Well, as far as I can tell, from all the research I've done and from every YJ I've ever encountered, that wasn't a factory top. That was probably something like a best top super top or some other modified top that worked with the rounded upper corner on the hard doors. So uh, as far as I could tell, no, you could not get a factory YJ with full doors and a soft top. Uh, the YJ roll cage originally started out looking a lot like the CJs um, with that center hoop and then the slanted rear back you know, rear uh, bars. The um, 
the biggest difference was the windshield spreaders. It would go from the main hoop to the windshield to sort of prevent the windshield from collapsing in on you in, a, in an accident. Um, in 92, they changed those rear bars to the, the outer loop like we see now in the newer Wranglers, and that was to accommodate the, the uh, shoulder harnesses for the, the seatbelts. Uh, believe it or not, in some models of the YJ, the base models, the rear seat was even optional. You could get literally a two-seat YJ with a, you know, no rear seat. Uh, even re things like reclining seats, delay wipers, and tilt steering were all options on the YJ. So no creature comforts for you. Tonight, I'm going to talk about a couple of cheap tricks you can do to your YJ to continue on the uh, the YJ series that we've been working on. So um, there's two things I thought I would chat about pretty quickly and easily. Uh, first of all is part of the suspension on your Jeep YJ. Now this is a little controversial, and if you talk to your inspection mechanic, he's going to tell you not to do this. But I'm going to tell you from experience that... Uh, the track bars on your Jeep YJ are pretty much useless. Now, I don't want you to go removing these things and then uh, getting yourself in trouble, but uh, I can say that I drove my YJ for several years, probably most of its life, with no track bars connected at all, and I only put them back on for inspection. And uh, the reason for this is uh, they basically limit the flex on your uh, your suspension, Unlike on the, the TJ and the JK, where they've uh, designed things in a slightly better way, um, on the YJ, all they really did was bind up with your leaves. Um, yes, they did do some, some work to center your axles under the Jeep, but uh, to be honest, your leaf springs do a pretty good job of that to begin with. So as long as all of your bushings are in order and everything's nice and tight, uh, you really don't have that problem. The second is the gas tank. Uh, so after 1991, I believe it was, uh, Chrysler decided that it cost a lot of money to offer two different sizes of gas tanks in their uh, YJ. However, there were lots of people who liked to buy the option of a 20-gallon gas tank instead of the 13 that was standard. So what they started doing was, instead of having to produce a 13 and a 20 gallon gas tank and instead of having to tool their plant so that they could install a 13 and 20 gallon gas tank they started rolling every yj off the line with a 20 gallon gas tank and then they would extend the vent hose on the uh, the, the filler assembly into the tank so that once the fuel level reached around 13 gallons it would cut off the pump so an easy way to uh, get yourself a 20-gallon tank upgrade if you've currently got a 13 is to pull off the filler hose, and you'll see that on the vent line, there's uh, sort of two layers of plastic. There's the outer layer, which is, of course, the tank, you know, the, the, the filler or the vent hose or the vent, the vent nozzle. Uh, and then um, inside of there is this black tube that if you can work a pair of pliers in there you can just slowly work the thing out and once it's pulled out you've got yourself a 20 gallon gas tank now what you'll also have is a gas gauge that doesn't read correctly because it's designed to tell you that you it's designed to report on a 13 gallon gas tank so essentially what will happen is when you fill your tank up uh, the gas gauge will read higher than full and it'll stay there until you've used what, seven gallons of gas. And after that, it should work properly, unless your gas gauge doesn't work properly, which was also sort of common on the YJs. All right, so there's two cheap tricks that you can uh, use to get a little more bang for your buck out of your YJ. 
All right, so there you have it. Lots of information about the Jeep YJ, uh, whether you wanted it or not. I hope you enjoyed the series. All right, thanks for listening, guys.